the complete roof. <laughs> yes, we're getting John Rosen, yes! In the arms of the angel, Welcome in, this is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, and, uh, a little bit of little bit of mourning here that we'll have at least since we've got uh, with humble hearts and heavy hearts. We'll at least say bid adieu to one Josh Rosen. At least we'll be getting into uh, his departure from the team. But moreover, not spending too much time focusing on that. Moving on to the next step, the positive. Um, the Cardinals, obviously, at least as many fans are aware, had a great draft this weekend. We're here to talk all about it. My name is Blake Murphy Seven, co-host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Joined as always by my podcast co-host who uh, is sporting the new at this time around at least. So uh, Johnny Touchdown, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Blake. Never did I thought I'd go by Johnny Touchdown uh, <laughs> three months ago. Uh, but here we are. I appreciate everybody's support as <laughs> you let me stick around Twitter for a little longer, but, uh, yeah, it was a crazy, uh, 72 hours. The entire draft process has been exhausting. Uh, the, the fact that we'll get into it, Blake didn't get resolution on Rosen until near the end of the day on Friday, which is just ridiculous. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, Kyler Murray is the franchise for the Arizona Cardinals and don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. This is his franchise. His people know it. He knows it. The front office knows it. And in my opinion, outside of him and this rookie class, everybody else is expendable. Yeah, I think let's. Uh, we're going to try to cover all of the aspects of the draft from hopefully a different perspective. I know a lot of people are desperate for content or looking around to trying to examine the players, the picks, everything from every which angle. Let's talk about the day leading up, John, because the kind of a few hours previously, part of me was worried or kind of, I think maybe nervous. And the only reason why I think I was nervous is more of in case there was some sort of change last minute, not necessarily because it was not liking Murray or not liking Quinnen or Bosa, but it was more of, it would have indicated that there was some type of issue or some type of problem that would have made the changes. You know, we've been talking about this probably, uh, I think since about March or so. And uh, John, I know that was one of the areas where I was sharing everything I was hearing with you. We were talking about that on the podcast. It's probably about a little bit near the end of March where I know that I had heard some news pass on you kind of followed up a little bit later with um, kind of a source that you had had and it kind of confirms like, yeah, this, this is going to be a done deal. It's happening matched up pretty easily with Steve Kimes timeline that he laid out of around mid March. He started watching Kyler Murray and it seemed like things started to fall a little bit more into place after that time, despite the fact that there were combine rumors, despite the fact that the rumors, even as early as January, as soon as Cliff Kingsbury was hired and Kyler Murray entered the draft. So uh, talk a bit about from your perspective about how this kind of evolved over time. Was this as much of a lock as we thought it was kind of going in? Is this more of a, a bit of a back and forth, and especially with how the Cardinals took a long time to trade Josh Rosen. We can talk about some of the speculation or reason behind that, but what were some of your thoughts, at least as we've kind of reached the end of this process and the end result from the Cardinals said was, hey, we're taking Kyler Murray. There wasn't really a, a doubt that seemed to be in most of the NFL. There wasn't a doubt either. Yeah, it's unlike anything I've seen in, in recent memory. I'm, I'm not sure we're going to see anything like it again, although who knows, Kime and, and Michael Bidwell, may have just ushered in a new way to do business. If you don't get what you need out of your quarterback and you've got (laughs) young quarterbacks now that are coming in and taking the league over in year one, uh, who knows? But I can tell you back in February, outside of that initial report, I don't think a lot of people saw this coming, but when Steve Kime opened the door in that opening presser, basically saying that Josh Rosen is our quarterback right now, uh, it kind of set the world on. Yeah. But what people don't talk about is he went on radio and TV following the combines. I can't foresee myself taking a quarterback. I just can't envision myself doing that. And then, of course, people running with the Kingsbury video, which I thought was lunacy. And then we go into March and the reports start to die down. And even you and I on, the, on this podcast about two months ago basically said we can put Kyler Murray aside. We didn't overly jump into his statistical season. We were talking mostly about Nick Bosa and Quinnen Williams. And then when guys like you know, our buddy Benjamin Albright start reporting that it's definitive and Chris Mortensen about two weeks mm-hmm. before the draft comes out and basically in, in, in less words says the same thing uh, or in so many words, then it's just like, oh, this is, this is really going to happen. We didn't get a definitive 
answer one way or the other outside of Pete Prisco, but like you illustrated well on Twitter that Pete's not the most accurate guy. He's, he knows the organization, he knows the Valley. Um, but he was inaccurate with his reports last year of the Browns taking Darnold. So again, when you've got Mort and Schefter and Benjamin Albright alluding to this, um, you know, I think it's sunken for you and I, like this is, it's time to move on. And for me, that was probably early April where I was just like, this is, there's too much hype going on with this situation. Mm -hmm. The relationship with Josh Rosen, I don't think it was destroyed, but it was damaged to the point where it would just be embarrassing moving forward Mm -hmm. without some kind of resolution with him being dealt. I never thought it would get to, um, you know, off season team activities with Rosen coming in for, you know, workouts with right. Kingsbury. I never thought that would happen. So I think a lot of people read into that and said, well, it's, it's going to work out now. The two of them are on the practice field together. And I had a little bit of doubt at that point, but I was still hearing from trusted sources, media outlets that it was still going to be Kyler Murray. And so my biggest gripe, and we'll get into it in more detail later, Blake, but just the way it was handled from a leverage standpoint with Rosen and garnering as much as you probably could, maybe at the start of free agency, right? And taking advantage of that quarterback market um, and, and maybe securing a higher pick than the Cardinals eventually got. Or I could be totally wrong. And the league could have just showed us what they think of Josh Rosen. Now, I don't think that's fair because of the season that he endured last year with this franchise, the uh, unfortunate position he put that they put him in, but you watch the tape. He can make all the throws, great human being. The people in the organization love him. I'm talking about the players and the, and the previous coaching staff, but I'm sure all these other franchises, maybe these franchises that aren't sold in Kyler Murray want to know why you're moving off of Josh Rosen so quickly. And so I think it was really a a very perfect storm um, but I can tell you, I, I very minimal hesitation going into the week of the draft that they were going to take Murray, even with people bombarding me on Twitter, asking, what do you think? I'm hearing this about this. And I'm like, Hey, I don't know what that person knows. I'm going to stick with Murray. And I know you felt the same way, Blake. We yep. got tipped off probably 10 days before the draft that they were in negotiations. Kime made it clear such, I believe on the Rich Eisen show, basically saying that He's got, they've got protect the contract's not done yet, mm-hmm. but they've got protection in the contract that, you know, allows them to recoup financials. If he were to opt for baseball, which essentially means he can't opt for baseball for some time. If he wanted to, that would have taken days upon days, maybe yeah. weeks to craft out that, that you're working with legal departments and, and attorneys. That's not something you can do in 24 to 48 hours. They were working on that in early to mid April when they had decided to move on, um, so it, it was a process, again, that I can't emphasize enough how exhausting it was for this fan base to go through this. And I think there was some relief that from even some of those fans that were skeptical about this, that they ended up taking Murray, because if not, then where, what do you, where are you really at at that point? If, right. you, if you opt to not take him and you talked about via the media how much you loved him, and then you're, you're going to go with Nick Bosa, who's a, who's a good prospect, but he's a defensive end then you're going to try to bring Rosen back and you've got a new coach who has a losing record in college. At least at the end of the day, even if you think this plan is crazy, it's consistent enough. The message is there. Like we'll talk about the draft class, how high we are on it, Blake. They're going all in with Kingsbury, Mm -hmm. the weapons to to surround Murray with. Clearly they're going all in with Murray. I think there'll almost be more damage done at this point. Had they not taken Murray kept Rosen gone a different position and then tried to pick up the pieces just based on how this whole process was done. And I'll, I'll leave uh, you with this Blake, but I thought Mike Florio made a great point this morning on his, on his show pro football talk on NBC sports, basically saying he is hearing that the Cardinals are going to get a super bowl via the league in the next couple of years when it's up for bid. And I can only think that that has some correlation with their hesitancy to not trade Josh Rosen in the month of March or hmm. early because my and the, and the city are guaranteed that revenue from the Super Bowl. And yes, it probably, it could have cost them maybe what 30 draft slots, 35, 40 in the grand scheme of things. You get a Super Bowl in Arizona. You feel like you're going to put a competitive team around Kyler Murray in three, four years. You know, we're having a different conversation. 
but he is hearing, and I, I, we talked about that, Blake. The league wanted suspense. It was the first time the draft had been on ABC, and they did not want the first overall pick to be decided six weeks before the draft, and I, I think that's a real thing. Yeah, definitely. I know the, the Cardinals right now, they still do have one Super Bowl that's coming up in 2023, at least right now. What I think would be interesting would be, like as you said, John, was was there – and this is kind of what some of asked. We'll talk. We can talk a bit. I know about the uh, Robert Klemko article that dropped with everything. But I think the there's a couple of things when you look at what the Cardinals. One was the way that everything was handled was quite honestly an awkward situation. Josh Rosen has shared with, I believe, it was Peter King when he was talking about how it was like the day or two before the draft. So he's looking around. And Michael Bidwell wouldn't meet him in the eyes, and at that point, it's like, oh gosh, he, like he knew that it was done. Kyler was going to be the guy, and. Some have said uh, they thought that that was a cowardice not to look him in the eyes, but it's less, I think, that and more of if you care about a person or there's something that's bad that's going to happen, it's almost kind of like, you know, a parent that's like, you know, when they know that their kid is going to be told that, like, they didn't get, you know, their spot on the team and the coach told the parent beforehand, you know, like, you're, you're not going to look your kid in the eye for that and tell them. And it shows, I think, partially how much they really did ultimately like Josh Rosen, how it was a tough spot because not – Really, it was in a lot of cases, it wasn't even like there were some areas where you could say Rosen needed to have improvement. We even talked about some of that, John, but it was just it was a tough situation to have to go through. And the fact that they kept everything quiet, whether it was on the league's orders or uh, for other reasons, which I, I, I do want to get into some of the other reasons, at least it was just a uh, it was bizarre. And some of the reason why it was bizarre was because so many fans, even on the day of the draft, felt like it was either a shock or that it was like a, a disbelief sense of what was happening. Some people had been thinking, hey, this is. Arizona's pulling a fast one on the league or, oh, they're going to be doing like this swap with Oakland at the last minute. Some people, I think, were believing that up into the end. I, I do think that would have been the only way to justify keeping Josh would have been if you had made a huge trade. But people were not apparently willing to trade up to what the Cardinals were looking for to number one. The Cardinals weren't willing to give up on Kyler Murray for whatever that cost was. So in the, in the end, I think, John, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a spot where we all need to kind of move on. Um, I think it's interesting how a lot of the arguments that we saw on Cardinals Twitter have kind of shifted over where because we, they've got a new quarterback, because people are starting to look into it, people are starting to understand the hype. Now Dolphins fans are kind of having to be stuck in a similar spot where they were believing kind of like the opposite of Cardinals fans. We're like, hey, we're set. We've got Rosen, get some talent. We're good. Now they're having to be in the spot of, hey, we were expecting to tank and get a quarterback next year. All of a sudden now you've got Josh Rosen, a part of this team. You've got you know two respected team beat writers who were – um, basically blasting him with things that they had heard either from people meeting in the, uh, whether it was in meetings at the combine, the people were grading off of, or whether there was just, you know, questions about with personality, which usually a lot of those times, it doesn't really matter as much if the quarterback wins. And maybe there's other questions you can get into. I know there was things that I heard that were potential where it's like, eh, maybe that's something that you don't like as much. And it just, but it depends on the coworker. And it does show that quarterback is kind of a, it's a tricky spot in a tricky position, John. As soon as Kyler Murray showed up, there were all these NFL people said, oh, yeah, that's, that's the guy he's going to go and get because if it's his person, if it's his scheme, in some cases, maybe it is just as, as simple as that. It's as simple as a manager taking over and hiring some of his guys from a different company just because those are people that he knows, feels comfortable, confident with. Um, I think that's one of the cases. Now, here's one of the things I'll kind of throw to you, John, as far as uh, thoughts of some of what I had heard throughout the week leading up to the draft was that it wasn't as done a deal as some people had thought for two reasons. One was it wasn't completely solidified yet on the contract talk as far as was Kyler going to go ahead and sign the contract. Like they could have, you know, teams can sign a contract after they, before they draft their pick. It's a thing that's only given to the number one team that the number one pick. Cardinals did not have that signed with Kyler Murray. Some questions at least of, hey, is it not signed because, you know, there's possibility he goes to baseball? The Cardinals trying to be unrealistic or is, is it that Kyler Murray's camp is being unrealistic and they're not signing? And I think that was when you had talked, I think, earlier about with, uh, we talked about that within 24, 46 hours, a very quickly signed contract. I think part of that when we had at the time was, hey, if the Cardinals had drafted Murray, they needed to get that contract done quickly just to make sure that there wasn't going to be any baseball kind of push it through and not have any type of, you know, back and forth or litigation. The fact that there now seems to be this verbal understanding where the Cardinals have protection, according to his agent, it seems like that's kind of pulled down a little bit. So that was one of the things I think at least that we can say was when we talked about like the contract would be signed quickly. That was at the time before I think a lot of the language or that unspoken had been figured out during the last week leading up to the draft when it was kind of known about maybe a week or so in advance 
that was when pieces kind of fell together. And that's part of why Kyler currently is, you know, not signed to his deal. Now it's don't have to worry about the baseball part of it. Now all we have to do is kind of figure out what's going to be the right dollar amount. If they're going to be any offset language. The second thing, John, was that there was still kind of a rumors, at least of a split. And I think some of this, we even got to see reflected with reports within the building of if Steve Kime, from what I know, at least was, at least what I was told was he potentially wasn't fully on the Kyler Murray train. Not that he wasn't on the, Merchant, but he was having the same arguments a lot of fans had for Rosen. Hey, why are we taking a new quarterback, losing value on our current quarterback instead of taking, you know, the best player in the draft in Quinn and Williams? And a lot of that, I think, maybe was something where when Kime was talking in the press conference and we haven't made up our minds yet, maybe it was closer to the truth. Maybe that's part of why we saw a report saying, hey, Quinn and Williams is being told he still had a chance to go to number one. Hey, you had you know, people like Prisco and others were saying that they're going to take another player. Maybe some of that was that there was a little bit of reality in there. And that's part of why the Rosen case took so long was because of Steve Kime said, all right, if I'm going to go ahead and start reaching out to other teams, start shopping Josh, but I haven't made up my mind fully on it yet. Then you kind of burn a further bridge because then as soon as everyone knows you ship it off. And let's say that, you know, Kyler had issues with his social media account with, there was a couple of you know, just tweets that were just immature that he went and apologized for and deleted. Let's say that something else comes out, you know, the night of the draft is the Snoop Dogg or something like that is toking it up with him. Then all of a sudden things change drastically for you. You already have traded a quarterback away. I think that may have been part of the thing was it was, you know, even with the, a team like the Raider, Ravens and Lamar Jackson last year, it's pretty sure, pretty clear that he wasn't going to go to any other team. But I think that that would be kind of the playing it safe route. And so uh, as we want to get into the Clemco article, John, I don't know, before we talk about that, uh, some of your thoughts about if you think that there was more with the Cardinals, you think that it was more just a little bit of a ruse, or as, as you mentioned even, could it be that there's something that the league kind of put a kibosh on the team where you kind of had to hide and protect it? Because the Cardinals themselves, for their credit, they didn't really leak, they didn't really leak that much for the most part for outside of the NFL Combine up until the actual draft pick happened. That caused just enough doubt for a lot of teams and especially, unfortunately, a lot of fans. Yeah, I, I 100% feel like there was a, a mutual understanding between the Cardinals and the league for some kind of future compensation in the form of potentially could the NFL Combine be the home in Phoenix, Arizona at some point, could they get an additional draft to come and be host? Something like, like that. I draft would make a lot hosting, of sense. If you yep, think about it, hosting the draft in the Valley. Yep. yep. Hosting the draft in the Valley, hosting the combine. Potentially we talked about the, or you, you hear it now there's blurbs that they want to move it rightfully. So out of Indianapolis into a warm weather city, potentially do it out. So which would be fantastic television. And then keeping, you know, the back of your pocket, you're always going to be up for Super Bowls. Um, so 100%, I think something like that is going to happen. Uh, your second point, second question, I think that Kyler Murray's biggest supporter in the building at the end of the day was not Cliff Kingsbury or it was hmm. not Steve Kime. It was Michael Bidwell. I believe that Michael Bidwell saw Kyler Murray, saw the grade that his scouts probably gave Kyler Murray and said to himself, can this individual change the fortunes of our franchise? Can he be a lightning rod for this area to, to carry the torch when Larry Fitzgerald's gone, can get us that elusive championship? It's not like Michael Bidwell doesn't like and appreciate what happened with Rosen last year, mm -hmm. but we talked about it. Rosen is the kind of quarterback that he needs a stable offensive line. He needs quality rep weapons. He needs a defense. His, his ceiling is Matt Ryan, and, and we've seen with Matt Ryan's gone 6-10, and 5-11. and 11. Can Kyler Murray be a transformative enough talent to, to, to um, allow the team to move on from Josh Rosen? And I think mm -hmm. Michael Bidwell, early on in the process, said, I, I think this is the direction we should take. Do your homework and look into this, Steve. Mm -hmm. And we've heard it from Steve, whether you choose to believe this or not. Steve Kime has made it clear, did not want to look at the tape, started diving into it in March after the combine fell in love with Murray. Uh, you of course did not have to convince cliff Kingsbury, but again, the Cardinals and cliff Kingsbury were having conversations dating back to after Thanksgiving last year about the opening Kime courted Kingsbury Kingsbury had options. The jet, uh, the New York jets wanted Kingsbury. And I do believe during those preliminary discussions, interviews, whatever Kingsbury said, and this is before the Cardinals had the first overall pick. This is before Murray knew he was going to play professional football. 
But I think there was an understanding that if we have an opportunity to look at Kyler Murray, let's look at him. Let's 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 make it a conservative effort. And right. they you said absolutely. The number one pick. You've got yeah. the number one pick. You always yep. take a good hard look at it. And that was even what Ken Summers, the Cardinals beat writer, talked about. He said, I think the Cardinals take a good hard look at Kyler Murray, but stick with Josh Rosen. And some of that, I think, is because he knew Steve Kime, Kime's camp. Most of the national media, I think, was right on this because they understood and knew Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff's agent, and that camp. Mm-hmm. And Cliff is brand new to the Arizona media, which is kind of where I, I don't fault the Arizona media for that much when the local people are tight lipped and it's the people outside of the state who are kind of the ones who are, you know, passing the news along yeah absolutely and i think that look it it came out (laughs) that cliff was walking around the combine basically proclaiming that they were going to take kyler murray (laughs) i I don't think that happened uh with cliff's work ethic i don't think he's that kind of showman he uh was kind of bred from the new england patriots tree early on was drafted by the pats have seen how they operate they're so tight-lipped um he's not a rex ryan where he just pops off at the mouth uh, over maybe a couple cocktails, but uh, I do think there was an infatuation with him that other teams could sense. And then Murray had momentum. I mean, once Murray declared for the NFL draft, I think that part of the reason, Blake, I think that it was such a disservice to the Cardinals was just the reality of the situation that a lot of teams didn't factor in Murray. Like when we were talking in January, Yep. We, nobody was factoring in Murray and Mox at that point, or very few individuals were, because everybody just assumed he was going to play baseball. Scott Boris came out and said he's going to play baseball. He's going to the open. So nobody, nobody took the time to break down his film, or most people did, for the NFL draft. Then when Murray, it became clear that Murray's going to choose football and then announce that, then the, the wheels kind of ran off the track a little bit, and everybody was like, oh, my goodness, Kingsbury, Murray. They have the first overall pick. They scored 13 points per game last season. Could Rosen be moved? And it just kind of took off from there, and it didn't stop until they read the card and Kyler Murray's name was on it. The speculation did not end, and I don't think I've seen an offseason like this where it's gone wire to wire. You, you're, you've been connected to one player, yep. and that's the player you took. So for me – it kind of you know ruined the draft experience in some way, but at the same time, I'm glad that we've come to you know this this end point, and we can get into the Clemco article because that that's kind of the 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 bitter pill to swallow because not only we were just the of the team, the franchise, the front office, and the the incompetence that was shown with the handling of Rosen Blake. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of that is the incompetence where we've talked about from the the perspective, the possibility, I guess you could say, of, hey, is it possible that Kime and the Cardinals, their hands were tied, they didn't have as much of a choice? That, I think, is a possibility. I went through at least the idea of maybe it was less incompetence but indecision, which I think would be a different form of incompetence you could say if you're standing a week before the draft and part of the reason why you're having these issues is because your general manager is still not completely ready to go down the route and that would explain I think quite a lot as far as why it took so long for them to trade Josh why it took a lot of difficulty because you know Kaim is still going in saying hey this may still be my guy and then you know the night of the draft or the day before that's kind of when everything breaks. They're like, all right, we know what the pick is going to be. Keep it quiet. And then we'll start shopping him right as soon as the first round begins. We're on the clock. Uh, he said, obviously, Kyman kind of said he had conversations with teams leading back to the combine. That was something I had heard passed along was that people had said, hey, you know, like the Cardinals are not shopping Josh Rosen, but they're probably going to take Kyler Murray. And so as a result, teams are inquiring that once that leak was out, the Cardinals could just say, hey, we're thinking of taking Kyler Murray, push that out. And teams would say, obviously, they, oh, Cardinals, they're probably going to be shopping Josh Rosen. And then clearly would come along. So I, it isn't like the Cardinals made this last second or last minute change and suddenly had to scramble. There's been draft stories I know of teams that saw, like I think a Jonathan Ogden got picked ahead of them and suddenly took like the next highest rated player on the board, didn't do the homework, and he was a complete bust. I think that this was potentially a little bit more of either the, like you said, the league or some of just with Cardinals throughout that whole week, you know, not shopping Rosen, not trading partially because, you know, he, he wasn't available. The pick wasn't confirmed until that point. Let's talk about with the Klemko article where it kind of pushed as far as the incompetence possibility where you take a look at the Cardinals calling Josh Rosen, um, you know, right around the Kyler Murray draft pick taking place for the most part. Um, you then look at how some of what I had talked about with people where 
the, the you know Josh had said, "Hey, I'm willing and ready to compete," and his agent said, "No, we're we're not going to do that." They don't want you to win the job. They're not going to give you a fair shake. We're going to get a trade worked out for you, which for a lot of those who said keep both quarterbacks, that was part of the problem was, you know, you're going to start seeing Rosen not showing up to camp. You're not going to see him working with the team. You're going to be having all this kind of drama of happening. Or if he did end up showing up, it would just become this whole tension, at least in the meantime of, hey, like, you know, you're he's not going to be here. There wasn't a competition that was happening. So I know that from the agent's perspective, at least they said that when Steve Kime called and was asking, Hey, the Patriots like your client, would they maybe be open to him? Hey, what about this team? Um, we're seeing that the Redskins are having, a, uh, I believe it was Dwayne Haskins fall to them at 15, something that people didn't know was going to happen, especially since the Giants decided to go with Daniel Jones at six. And we'll, we'll talk about some of our overall draft thoughts, I know, at least later in the podcast tonight, John. But some of it was like, hey, what, the agent was going saying, how did you not know the answer? Why is there the secrecy? What, why are we going with trade terms now? Um, you know, Kime first and kind of had the first price was, hey, it's a first round draft pick. People were saying that's really bold for what some people had said he was a walk, a Washington exec. And eventually ended up turning into, you know, Miami just saying, hey, I realized that he was being shot by the Cardinals. The Dolphins GM told people that, you know, hey, didn't realize he was being shopped up until that point, perhaps because of a possible tampering issue. But what really ended up turning everything around was the reports that came out the following morning of, hey, Miami, Arizona, it's going to get done, second-round pick, and then there was a pushback of it, second-round pick, it's not enough for Miami spot. Oh, second-round pick, that's not enough for what Arizona spot is. And so it was the idea of both teams wanted to get the trade done, turned into Miami essentially kind of hedging their bets, saying, all right, we're going to go ahead, trade back. That way, it's not like it's a mid-second rounder. It's more like closer to a third, high third rounder. Get a second round pick for next year. That way, if they do end up with problems, they can always use that leverage to try to move up for a quarterback. Uh, savvy move on their part if they'll need one, uh, which hopefully they won't since they did have you know, Rosen and Fitzpatrick. And then the Cardinals end up, instead of giving a fifth round pick, receive a fifth round pick. So maybe that was Steve Kime just getting a pick late saying, hey, you, we were talking about pick number 48. You didn't give us, you know, pick 48. Let's go ahead and see if you can toss us, you know, a day three pick late next year. Dolphins agreed to that. So Josh Rosen and his $6 million total over the next three years goes to the Miami Dolphins. Um, he left a really, really like touching video overall where he thanked the team, the players who we knew, uh, kind of poked a little bit of fun at least with Kyler, letting him know that his apartment was going to be for sale. Um, finished up, got a standing ovation at the Larry Fitzgerald softball tournament. Um, interestingly enough, very few Cardinals, I think we even talked about this, John, who kind of reached out and said, congrats, welcome to the team, Kyla Murray, in part because, you know, it's whenever you got a new guy who's coming into the office and it means another guy gets fired that's really pretty well liked around the office and people felt like it wasn't, you know, his fault. The department was a wreck. It's, it's, it's a rough situation overall. So I think that it's going to be a spot where for Cardinals fans, from what I've seen for the most part, like you talked about the fan base, there were people who, you know, accounts were like deleted things were fought over all these different fans. You know, people had like these Rosen jerseys and license plates. And it's definitely a, a disappointment when you go in with having a lot of that hope. And now I think people have at least pivoted to the new hope. There's still a little bit more doubt, I think, because of the atypical and non-traditional uh, you know, body type and play style that Kyler Murray has. But I wanted to see at least, John, if you think that if this is the Cardinals, at least with Steve Kime, if he is being, uh, you know, incompetent, and, and at least with how they traded Rosen, from my perspective, at least, I think we'll talk about this from the Kime perspective first. Then next we'll talk about was this in a case where Rosen, you know, just wasn't as in demand around the league. So, John, I want to hear kind of your thoughts of it. what does this mean potentially for the Cardinals if, you know, this idea of the incompetence or where this all comes, what's some of the perspective that you would like to shed a little bit of light on, at least from reading the Clemco article? Well, I think both of your, your questions can be true. I think that Rosen was not as in demand as we would have liked him to be. There was a reason he was the fourth quarterback taken last year. The Cardinals traded up for him. As we know, 10th pick overall, gave up a first, third, and a fifth. We don't know how far he would have fallen had the Cardinals not traded up. The Dolphins didn't show any inclination of trading up last year. The Raiders didn't want him. They allowed the Cardinals to come up to pick 10. So you, you throw that on the surface, and then you combine that, and I don't want to say with his play, but with the production of last year, the lack thereof, based on the uh, egregious roster and the you know, below average coaching staff. We've gone over it time and time again. I think that there was a, the demand for Josh, unfortunately was not what I think it should have been. Um, because I know the caliber of player he can be. 
And, and hopefully we see that. And I think speak for the both of us. We're rooting for him in Miami. We want him to have success. And unfortunately, you can make an argument. Miami, at least personnel wise, is in a very similar position to the Cardinals were last year. Um, but I also think we need to talk about the incompetency when it comes to Steve Kime and the quarterback position. We've see, seen Steve Kime make masterful trades for Carson Palmer. And I don't want to say quarterback position in, in the sense that, you know, he got Carson who was in, on the, you know, the last leg of his career and he got him for a seventh round pick, sixth, seventh round pick. Um, and that was kind of throwing a, you know, a, a you know, seeing what sticks in the quarterback room. I don't think anybody looked at that at the time as a game changer. Right. Um, but he also traded for Chandler Jones for a throwaway second round pick in Jonathan Cooper. He's made quality trades. We've seen it before. What he had not been able to do was address the quarterback position outside of 2013, specifically the franchise quarterback position. He has always struggled with that. He has struggled with pulling the trigger on trade-ups. He has passed on, on competent quarterbacks in later rounds. He passed on Dak Prescott. He talks about not uh, encouraging the front office, and this is not against him, but Russell Wilson in 2012 thought he was too small. A lot of teams did. Um, didn't want to trade up what it cost for Paxton Lynch, but liked Paxton Lynch. Um, we could go over the 2017 draft. It makes me sick to my stomach to think about, <laughs> but that was the year the Cardinals should have taken a quarterback. They did not. And of course, Mahomes and Watson have torn up this league. Two teams jump in front of the Cardinals. Kime sitting on his hands. So we've seen Kime build a NFC championship roster. We've seen him draft and develop quality defensive players, not so much offensively. But he has very much had issues with addressing and finding the right kind of value chart when it comes to young franchise quarterbacks. And I think that's carried over in this offseason. Like you mentioned, Blake, I think you overestimated the market. Probably that's probably 70 percent of it. I think 30 percent is maybe what the league was you know, funneling to him about potentially keeping the, the trade under wraps. But I could be wrong. It could be something like 80-20. And I, I do believe Kime thought he was going to get a first round pick for Rosen. But I think also he didn't do the math when it comes to how many of these teams have addressed the quarterback position in recent drafts. Yeah. Go back to two or three years ago, half the league, if not more, needed a young quarterback either as the starter or, or quarterback in waiting. That number has dwindled significantly. And, and part of that, Blake, is the fact that these young quarterbacks are more prepared than ever to come in into the league and have success. So more and more teams are, are taking a flyer on guys. And Dak Prescott's coming in as a fourth-round pick and, and having huge success. We talked about quarterback class of 2017, three first-round quarterbacks. Last year, five first-round quarterbacks. That number continues yep. to add up. So we get to the point where we're on Friday now after overplaying his hand on Thursday, and it is very much touch and go. Pro Football Talk again, Mike Florio reported Friday afternoon that the Rosen trade was done for a second-round pick. We're all doing backflips like, you know what, not best-case scenario – now, worst case scenario, let's get out of this with our with the pick forty eight, and then a couple. And Jason Lock and Four also tweeted the exact same thing. <laughs> Deal's done. Uh, I hadn't heard. Uh, yeah. I hadn't heard that. You hadn't heard that. But we were all hoping for once in the last ten years, Lock and Four will be right with something about the Cardinals. But then you hear other you know prominent media members saying this deal's not done. Rappaport saying they've had discussion. Deal's not done. And turns out he was right. Mm-hmm. And so when Rappaport's reporting before the start of the second round that it's like. It's Miami or bust. What yeah. leverage does Kime have? And I am—I was surprised, Blake, after the, the Miami Dolphins traded down, that the Cardinals did not have to settle for a third-round pick. I don't know if he could have after the comments he made Thursday night that they were not going to give Josh Rosen away. He had every intention of bringing him to camp. That—that that wasn't the case. But he had made his bet at that point. So you take almost one of the last picks of the second round to try to almost save face. And I believe they're not going to save face in this situation with regard to Rose and Murray will be the defining factor. I see people talking about Andy Isabella as the defining factor. That's, that's lunacy. That's asinine. If Kyler Murray is a stud, it doesn't matter what Andy Isabella does or Josh Rosen. If Kyler Murray is what they hope he is, that's, that's all that matters. Isabella, I think is going to have a nice career with the Cardinals and be and play a focal point in this offense, but it's about Kyler Murray. So with that being said, the pick that they got was the pick that they got at this point. I do think Blake, we've talked about it. Seth Cox of this website has talked about it. Revenge of the birds. Mm -hmm. I think the demand for Josh Rosen 
fair or not, was lower than it ever had been. And especially when you consider how down teams, some teams were on him the year before. We can look at the tape. We can look at the measurables. You and I like tons of stuff about this young man, but I don't want to use him as an example ever again. But Skip Bayless talks about low football intangibles. And that was one of the things that we consistently heard about Rosen coming out. I don't think that's the case, but when people get fixated on that and then they see the poor play and they don't dive into the film and they see the record and they see a team moving off of him, why is somebody going to give you a first round pick for that? They sold low on a guy because they felt, well, they honestly had to because they were so infatuated and in love with Kyler Murray. So I, I am, I am relieved that they got the pick that they got. Mm-hmm. We, we podcast, we recorded like two weeks ago. I thought they would end up with somewhere in the forties. They didn't, but the value that they got in the rest of the draft, Blake, we'll talk about it really almost kind of makes up for it anyway. Yeah. And the interesting thing, if you look at what the Cardinals gave up for Josh Rosen, we were all like, you know, exclaiming like, wow, it was a steal. Some of what I know I heard from some people last year was that, at least in the first round, part of the reason why some teams hadn't been on there was, you know, didn't interview as well, maybe once or twice. And the team that had the most interest was the Chargers. That would have been the other team that had a first round grade. It's part of why their name kind of kept coming back in the discussions. But the interesting part with the Cardinals overall is if you look at what kind of got back for Josh Rosen, he gave up a first, a third, and a fifth for him. He ended up getting back a low second, almost third, and a 2025th. So really all that you're kind of looking at as far as the cost is just a first round pick. So in that sense, it's not like the Cardinals, you know, surrendered three first round picks to move up to this spot and then are moving off of him as far as the investment. So that's one thing you can look at. And then it depends, you know, if Rosen beats out and is a franchise quarterback for 12 years for the Miami Dolphins and Kyler is not great. Then all of a sudden you're going to be looking at, Hey, was it situation in Arizona? Was it the offensive? What, what happened here? Was it, you know, just a missed opportunity that you're able to see? Um, that's a possibility that's going to be there. I think it's going to be tough to see as far as with Miami, when I reached out to some Miami, you know, fans, I was like, they were like, Hey, what, what's the, can you tell me about Josh Rosen? I said, well, he's got weapons and a good old line. I think that he'll do just fine. They said, Oh, well, he's not in the right spot then, which is like not a, not a great indication. It's partially, I think John, why so many people were looking at a quarterback who can create for themselves, a quarterback who can be quick with the processing, not be as late on some of the throws as Josh was in his year. Granted, he was obviously, as we've said, in an offense where he had to hold the ball on for a long amount of time. It didn't speed up up until Byron Leftwich took over. And even then there were still issues, but it was a spot where the NFL overall just said, Hey, like we're just not really about Josh Rosen. So the fact that when most people said the value was a third round pick and you could talk them into the second, and then it was the dolphins or bust. I think that part of the Clemco article, I think was mentioned at least that was a possibility. It made a lot of sense was, Hey, agent saying it's not my fault. This is something that Kime and the Cardinals screwed up. Well, Aiden's going to have to say that because if no one wanted his client except for one team that was saying, oh, we don't want to give up a mid-second. We're only going to give you up a second after we've traded back and have hedged our bet there. That looks awful for your client who was taking, you know, in the top 10. And if a team moves on like after next year, like Miami, if they happen to, you know, have a, a terrible season, if Rosen isn't able to help elevate them, then you're going to be in a similar spot. So that's something at least where if you're on the agent, you're wanting to kind of say, hey, the blame isn't on me for the fact that you know one team maybe is the only one that's going after your client. And they even are just saying, Hey, it's coming in to compete with Ryan Fitzpatrick, a journeyman quarterback. It's not like he's been guaranteed anything. So a lot of that, John, I think we'll see over time. It'll really depend. I'll say this. If the Cardinals do end up seeing where if Josh Rosen goes in next year, he's in the same spot where the Dolphins are saying they're more than comfortable to move on to a different quarterback. That'll kind of be, I think, one of the bigger indications of the Cardinals, at least not to say that they got it right. Cause I don't know if you can get it right or wrong, but more of at least that they are at least justified in making the move that they believe could win more football games in the future. Um, I, I know some fans didn't like the way that things were handled. I saw one fan at least had a comment of, you know, Cardinals could win four Super Bowls, but I'm just upset with how they handled this wrong. And I was like, well, they're going to win, you know, four Super Bowls. Oh my God. They're doing I'm their job. See that comment. They're their, yeah, they're Jesus. doing their job for that one. And I think in that sense, maybe we're looking at it in a way where most fans, I think, have already turned and have adapted and said, all right, you know what? finally getting a chance to watch Kyler Murray. I even, I even remember a conversation I had with someone who was like, I don't understand why are we looking for Kyler? He's so small. He's so short. Showed some of the different areas. I know you can always take a look at, he was obviously the pro football focus, number one player. We haven't talked as much about pro football focus in the past, John. We'll probably start talking a lot more about it now, but I think it was interesting. At least it's like, all right, I'll go and watch some film. What are some games? And so for a lot of people, there were some who 
watch the Oklahoma, watch some college football, watch some of the games, but to be able to study in depth and in detail to see at least more of the, the quarterback as a whole isolated. I think there was a lot of people came in just believing because Josh was the guy and they're watching NFL football and because Kyler was set for baseball. A lot of people just weren't seeing this as a possibility. And now I think that people have warmed up to it. I think it's just been kind of a good case for Cardinals fans of, Hey, we applauded and gave Josh Rosen a standing ovation on the way out. And a lot of the fans are turning around and, you know, supporting Kyler Murray on the way in his Jersey right now is the number one seller for Cardinals and new draft jerseys. So that's something I think shouldn't be understated, at least for people are at least getting excited about Michael Bidwell does does take note of that, by the way. (laughs) Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he will. So that's at least something I can say. That's at least complimentary of this fan base. It wasn't that people were booing Josh Rosen out the door. It wasn't that people were, you know, burning jerseys when it wasn't his fault. And even though it's been an awkward situation where very few people outside of a couple of players, at least have, you know, openly welcome Kyler Murray. A few more trickled out over the next few days. It feels like a lot of it is more fans are just like, all right, we've bought in with Cliff Kingsbury. We've bought into this new air raid identity, which I think is important to accentuate John. And I think I'm going to be excited about that. So uh, let's go ahead and shift just to talking a little bit about before we get into the rest of the draft, let's wrap up the Kyler Murray talk with what are the things at least that you've seen that you like as far as why the Cardinals made this pick? What do you think that we can expect with Kyler Murray at quarterback and uh, outside of Cliff Kingsbury's comments today, which I don't, I don't even know if it's worth talking about where he said, oh, Kyler will compete in camp. I, I don't think there's going to be any type of a competition there, obviously. No. What are some of the things you can say, at least now that we've gotten a chance to settle in for about a week, what are some of your thoughts now here on Kyler Murray and the, that number one overall pick selection for the Cardinals, selecting their new franchise quarterback and new identity? I can tell you that the Cardinals believe that Kyler Murray is in the same realm as a lot of former number one overall picks that they view him uh, as an advanced version of Michael Vick, that they think that he is a franchise saver game changer like Cam Newton. They believe that, and you hear Steve Kime talk about it on radio on television setting off fireworks at State Farm Stadium. I mean, when do you ever recall him saying anything like that with Josh Rosen, fair or not? And I don't know if you should build your football team like that, but I'm just telling you, they believe with the combination of Cliff Kingsbury's play calling with the personnel that they can hopefully surround him in, that they can have some form of what we saw in Kansas City last year with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, with what we've seen to a lesser extent extent with Deshaun Watson, somebody who has legitimate 4-2 to 4-3 speed uh, as a straight-line runner that we have not seen displayed yet in this Mm offseason, somebody with a a better, stronger arm than Baker Mayfield. It's not as good intermediate. He's got a stronger deep ball. He throws the best deep ball in college football. And the fact that with your head coach, he will be under center 0% of the time. He had three tip balls at the line of scrimmage in 2018. They do not believe in any way, shape, or form that size is a disadvantage for him. They believe that his skill set will translate seamlessly to how the NFL game is played now with the fact that you cannot touch quarterbacks, that mobile quarterbacks quarterbacks in success. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's sustainable with Lamar's gameplay over time. But you combine that mobility, elite mobility, with his skill set as a passer, his elite athleticism, no other player, we've talked about it at nauseum, has been a top first-round baseball draft pick, much less a top-10 draft pick in both drafts. I mean, he's, he is a freak of an athlete who just happens to play quarterback, who just happens to be 5'10". He is going to be the face of this franchise, because, assuming he stays healthy. I, I've said this. I've been on record of saying this. I liked Dwayne Haskins early in this process because I thought he could hold up better. But in terms of an on-field product, if he stays, if Kyler Murray stays healthy, he will be at least a good NFL starting quarterback with a chance to be incredibly special, assuming that the, the ownership, the head coach, personnel, everybody's on the same page in, in trying to, to win a championship. And what you can see, I think the, the biggest sigh of relief that the fan base can take is that everybody, regardless of the decisions that they've made and the, and the, the viewpoints that they have, is on the same page. Yep. What we saw last year was a front office 
who supposedly preferred Josh Allen and instead traded up for Josh Rosen. Didn't make a whole lot of sense, right? It came out. They liked Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. They ended up with Josh Rosen. Mm -hmm. Spent dumb money on free agent quarterbacks just so they had a veteran. Went into the season with a defensive-minded head coach who ran a 4-3, and they had 3-4 personnel. Hired a uh, a wash of an OC who had been fired midseason. Fired mid-season nobody twice, was on the yeah. yep. <laughs> nobody was on the same page with anybody. Right now, they have a vision of what they want to do, and it it may very well blow up in their face. But at least they have an idea if they can hit on the quarterback and the head coach, and they can merge perfectly together. Which they've had a relationship. Kingsbury has recruited and bidding in Kyler Murray's life in some way, shape, or form, since he was a sophomore in high school. That was the first time that Kingsbury had seen him play. So they've known each other for, that would have been, what, a, almost a decade ago? It's or, like seven years or so. Yeah, seven, eight years. By the time they, time. That, yeah, by the time they suit up. So almost, almost a decade that they've had some kind of a relationship. And so if, if, you're, gonna, if you're Steve Kime, and you're going to go out, this is your last coaching hire, you would think. It's your last opportunity to find a franchise quarterback. He's going all in, and you know, at the end of the day, the more people you talk to within the media, within the league, I think most people are frustrated and upset at this franchise, not for taking Murray, but for the treatment of Rosen. Hmm. Once you get over that, and you put on the tape, and you watch this young man play football, knowing that he's going to be utilized correctly. And I think that's the biggest thing. Right. People, I mean, he goes off the first game against the Lions at home. Like that will silence a lot of critics. But I think like one of his biggest, I don't know, gripes or, or criticisms is not even directed towards him. It's the fact that he's got a GM that's on the hot seat, hmm. stream DUI, misses on first round picks. He's got a head coach who has not won anything that people People do not like outsiders do not like Cliff Kingsbury because of the fact that he's good looking and he, <laughs> that people feel like he was handed the job based on that because yep. he didn't win in college. Yep. Right. And you've got old guys like Vic Fangio who the media loves, but nobody in the right mind wanted to hire until he was what in his sixties. So there, there is a stigma against the Cardinals right now. That's not overly positive, especially after this Murray debacle, or excuse me, the Rosen debacle, but Murray could be the antidote to kind of cure all that. And if there's anybody that can overcome it, it's this young man who's been able to carry a team to the final floor four of college football who knew every, every time they took the, took the field offensively. And he's kind of said it in, in, in you know, a different, different term of phrase. Their defense was so bad that every time Oklahoma played on offense, they felt like they needed to score a touchdown and he willed them to the final four and, <laughs> You can you can discredit him for a lot of things, but that is a hundred percent factual. Yeah, the biggest thing I think with Murray is if you look at it, it's interesting because there's he's a different type. He's not this kind of brash and a little bit more bravado, talkative like who like you know when he interviews he'll talk about you know wanting to terraform Mars or dropping you know like a, a movie quote or something like that. One, it's a different type of person. It, Murray is much more of this kind of more quiet confidence. Like you know sometimes he'll like pause a little bit, want to make sure he understands the question that's being asked, like to think about the answer and then be able to go to it. But still has kind of some of the quotes and comments that are very interesting where it shows like he says. People ask him, like, hey, how many how many losses do you have? He's like, oh, I don't know, but I think I can count the number of times I've lost on two fingers. And so it's just this little kind of quote where you're like, oh, that's cocky, but there's a part of you that likes it because it shows kind of that there's not just a dedication to winning, but he knows exactly how many times he's lost, partially because it sticks out so much. That was one of the things as, as far as when people are saying, hey, like, if Michael Bidwell wanted to make a splash or sell tickets, like, that's year the Cardinals, they, the lowest that it dipped for the most part as far as ticket sales went was like, well, maybe $2,000 lower, and I'm maybe or 2,000, excuse me, 2,000 seats less than filling like, you know, that 50, 53,000 seat stadium. So you're not talking about that. You're having the struggling to sell tickets. Now, maybe there's not as many bodies in the seat. I can say that it wasn't the case at all for the Rams game. That field was pretty much pumped up after Larry Fitzgerald threw that touchdown. The rest of the game obviously was a snooze, but you take a look at a lot of the things as far as what the biggest concerns that people had with Kyler Murray, because I came into the process wanting to kind of poke and pick out the concerns. And so what happened is I went through the, my own kind of process. What changed me was a lot of the things that I had had as concerns, I kind of got proved wrong on. The first, the first biggest concern I had was, is he just kind of a Lamar Jackson, RG3 running type quarterback? And that was the first question was, 
is he just a guy who's going to tuck the ball, read and run uh, as soon as the first read isn't there? And so when I looked and saw the tape, I realized, okay, a lot of these running plays, not only are they predetermined, he's scrambling and keeping his eyes downfield. He's avoiding pressure and sacks. He's a baseball player. He slides. So instead of taking a lot of these big hits like RG3 was, or instead of you know hanging in the pocket, he would be able to use that athleticism ability. And because he's running with this crazy athleticism, you know, guys couldn't catch him. Bruce Arians even said it, I think at the combine in an interview a few months ago, he's like, Oh, I love Kyler. People are like, but he's so small. He's like, aren't you afraid he's going to get hurt? And he's like, they got to catch him if they want to hit him. And that was like the kind of, you know, I don't know if it was a BAC of approval, but it showed a lot of people around the league liked Kyler Murray. Um, the more I talked with people, I found out that hey, if the Cardinals had passed on this guy and had taken Williams at one, Quinn and Williams at one, phone would have been off the hook for the Niners because a lot of people at least had said, hey, we're good at quarterback. We don't believe he's going to fall, but we're willing to trade, you know, a 20, 20 first round pick, move up for this kid, um, not to, you know, justify Arizona's, but that was the first thing that I noticed that was interesting was, um, the majority, about like 90% of his plays were from the pocket in Oklahoma from the Lincoln Riley's offense. So it was very similar to Baker Mayfield as far as being able to read, get it onto his, you know, later reads in the process. Sometimes he didn't have to because they did have a lot of talent. He had a great offensive line, had great coaching. That's something at least where some people have viewed that as a negative of saying, Hey, you know what? he's going to get challenged at the next level. And that's true. I think he is going to get challenged at the next level, but it's also a spot of, you got to see what, he could do at his best and at his highest with a ton of talent stuff. And we've seen some play people like, you know, I, mean, I think we looked at Mitch Trubisky and Jared Goff this year. We saw some struggles that they went through. The Cardinals, I think, are going to be a team where you see if they're rebuilding, they've refreshed their talent. But I don't think it's going to be a spot where Kyler gets the NFL and then takes two or three hits. And he's like, oh, that's it. I'm going back to baseball. I think that this is something that we've been able to see that he is a quarterback who plays the position. And I've got a lot less injury concerns, to, to be quite frank. A lot of what I look into for quarterbacks is did they have an injury history? Look and see. Deshaun Watson had an injury history since he had an ACL in high school. You see Carson Wentz, had an injury he came back from. Josh Allen even, I think, had like some broken collarbone and some seven screws or something like that. And then had something with his throwing arm, which is kind of like, you know, like, gosh, like for a guy who runs around a lot, it's a little bit risky there. But with Kyler, he never had any issues in the training room. Meanwhile, on the other side, Josh Rosen, from what we saw with the Cardinals, he ended up missing like about nine or so games in college. He had 39 games he could have started. He missed nine. Some of that, you can take a look at the offensive line. Some of that is his play style was he would be a guy we saw would hang in the pocket would take the late hit. We wouldn't be able to move around as well. So he'd take quite a few sacks, took 40 plus sacks last year. So that's kind of the one thing that was interesting. I even remember in the Rams game, it was just a sum up of all the failures the Cardinals had that year. First down, run the ball with David Johnson up the middle, no gain. Second down, run it up the middle, lose a few yards. Now it's third and 13. Rosen drops back. Aaron Donald immediately penetrates. He ends up trying to get rid of the ball, hurts his elbow, comes back into the game because, you know, he's, he's a tough kid. And it was interesting because he just didn't have the type of athleticism or maneuverability to get away. So, you know, you're going to have, not that you will have injury concerns, but you could see that there was a reason for the injury concerns. Whereas when you watch Kyler, I'm like seeing the guy running for a first down instead of pushing that extra step like Jimmy Garoppolo did before his ACL, pushing for that extra touchdown like how Carson Wentz tore his ACL. He didn't, nope, slid. And I'm just saying, I'm not going to get hit. I'm much more valuable than getting a first down. So to have that innate understanding, that took a lot of the injury concerns out of it. Now, maybe we'll see with the size and frame. I think that some of the Russell Wilson concerns where we've seen Russ has never really been truly hurt in the NFL. We saw at least a lot of guys like Doug Flutie and others who've gone through. I think it's the play style, honestly, that leads you more to getting hurt. So we already taken a look at, hey, is he going to be better from is he a quarterback instead of just a runner for the injury concerns, for the height concerns? I think you and I have talked about this, John. Part of it is also with Cliff Kingsbury's offense with the way that they'll structure it is they're not going to line up with the offensive line close together like a pro style. They'll have a little bit wider splits, which will give better passing angles for the quarterback. It'll also give a room for, if let's say that there's a wide open field in front of Kyler, no one's spying him. He could take off through some of those splits, pick up a first down and slide similar to how we've seen some quarterbacks, particularly Wilson and even back in the day, Alex Smith take advantage of the Cardinals with that mobility. Um, I think that the biggest question that's going to come down to at least is, is this going to be a offense and a player that the NFL is going to be able to kind of figure out and corral? And is he going to have enough of a support system around him? I think we'll get into some of that with the draft picks, but one here, John, cause I, I feel like with looking at it with the player, the more I got into it, I mean, you can look at the, 
PFF stats of you can you can make arguments for you know the second best season outside of Baker. You can look at the Heisman. You can look at how uh, the Alabama game. For me, what changed my mind fully was when I ran him through my quarterback grading metric, which it takes a look at who are the five toughest teams that you play in the NFL. Look, so who are uh, that you're going to play the closest thing to NFL talent, which obviously included Alabama, included him playing Texas twice with that great Texas defense. Uh, and included him playing, I think, a team like West Virginia and others. And what I looked at with Kyler was when you look at what he did in those games, he threw for about 340 yards. He rushed for another 80 on average, threw for three touchdowns, ran for you know another one, and he had less than one interception. So you're talking about a guy who, against the toughest teams that he played, didn't turn the ball over more. He didn't have his yardage to get shot because he you know wasn't able to make those throws. He still put up a ton of offense, a ton of points. And uh, outside of those two losses that he had with one with Alabama, whereas, you know, he was down 21-0 before he touched the ball a third time. And with the first Texas game, look at how that second game went, where he just beat them up, where they weren't able to stop him a second time. John, it was really encouraging to me because he tested into the same kind of category I had as Deshaun Watson, as far as Patrick Mahomes, and even kind of, in some cases, ahead of a Baker Mayfield, where he didn't have some of those same type of struggles throwing into tight coverage. So for me, it was kind of, that was what changed my perspective, saying, okay, if this is the way that you're looking at it when the lights are on when the pressure is on how does he perform and he performed at an elite level if you can have not just a franchise quarterback like with josh rosen who's suitable who's a starter but you can get a guy who's in the top 10 maybe even kind of have a leak a look into like the top seven maybe top five by the time some of these older quarterbacks go out john i think that that is that would make everything that we went through as cardinals fans last year worth it and i think that's what the cardinals obviously are hoping for for a high quick processor and it's not maybe a knock on josh rosen but it's just that murray does what the cardinals i think need right now is they need someone who's able to run this cliff kingsbury's offense to its fullest and i think that josh rosen he would have done fine but he would not have hit the ceiling that a kyla murray has so that's kind of what i wanted to wrap up at least as far as part of why where i really got convinced was once i finished that grading match was like all right kyler i went in downing i went in wanting to not like you it's just a steve kind you've got me convinced yeah, I think hit the nail on the head. There's, I mean, there's, you, you can't argue that that the fact that Murray his ceiling eclipses Rosen in the sense that if you're trying to run what Kingsbury wants to run, and if you believe that that's the way the NFL is working toward, we saw Patrick Mahomes throw 50 touchdowns. I don't want to call it in a similar offense, but it's got some similarities in in his first year starting. I mean, certain individuals have these abilities and and. Other people don't. I mean, that's just the, just the way uh, the way it works out. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for Josh Rosen. And I heard a lot of you know speculation within the media, people who had gripes about you know the Cardinals and how they handled Rosen and Kingsbury specifically, and coach him up and make Rosen fit your scheme. And you know, I believe I really do that that Rosen would have had success with Kingsbury uh, statistically. But I mean, it's. You know, I think I heard somebody use the analogy the other day as if you had like a sports car and you put, you know, a standard engine in it, whether than the engine it was supposed to have, you know, you're never going to be able to get to maximize, you know, what the the car is supposed to be, what the offense is supposed to be with with Cliff Kingsbury. I think there's some truth to that. I mean, like Murray is dangerous in and outside the pocket. And I do think that the Cardinals know and felt like with the state of their offensive line, how difficult it's been for them to build an offensive line. And just in general, I mean, a lot of teams have issues with it. The Cardinals just seemingly can never correct it, but it takes multiple off seasons to do it. And I think there was real concern within that front office that eventually Rosen was going to go down to no fault of his own based on the amount of hits he was taking because they were so ill prepared to protect him. Yeah. With Murray with Murray. You have at least the opportunity for him to move on the run um, and, and we've talked about it, Blake, the tackles are with a, um, we have not seen a mobile quarterback in Arizona since, I don't know, goodness, Kevin Plummer. Cobb was, yeah, I was it was, Plummer, Cobb was, Cobb was like, he, he ran and then he were like, oh, he's running. Well, then he got a concussion. Yeah. Yeah. And he, well, he isn't just getting a concussion. He also like, you know, got what it was the turf toe and the knee and their other stuff. And it was just like, yeah. Yeah, he was a good rusher at, at, 
at Houston, at Houston. Um, yeah. but no, they have never had a, a threat like this. Um, they've no had statue quarterbacks. Like no one's had a threat like this, John. That's what's crazy because when I looked last year at Lamar Jackson, like he averaged probably like over a hundred rushing yards a game in college, which is like crazy because Kaepernick only averaged seventy, RG three averaged like sixty. Uh-huh. Vic was like fifty. Russell Wilson only took off a couple of times. He was mostly a pocket guy who could move. When you're looking at what happened with Lamar, though, he was a guy who would throw, you know, like. 199, but then run on the ground for like 112 yards and two touchdowns. With Kyler, you're talking about like 400-yard passing games, and he's running for like 108 yards. It's like it was this kind of – he played it exactly like how whenever I played Madden, I would always trade Michael Vick to my team. I'd run like 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage and then throw a deep bomb all the way at the very end of the field to Fitz, who just leap up and catch it. And like that's that's kind of what the type of offense the Cardinals almost are like kind of designing. I I don't know if it's going to be as close to the – 2011 Eagles, maybe closer to like what we're seeing from the 2018 Patriots and the 2018 Chiefs. But it was just interesting to be able to see some of what you're saying, John, of like the the way that the Cardinals have designed and played is building around this player and this identity with Cliff Kingsbury that kind of favors the, the futuristic direction of the NFL. They're, they're not just looking at an identity, but it's an identity that's looking forward rather than saying, oh, we're going to just run the football, matched up, mano a mano. They're not looking backwards, they're looking forward. All right. Well, well, you just, you look at his player comps and they're, they're too impressive to deny. Uh, when you've got guys well-respected within this industry, like Lance Erling in article, Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've talked about the traits that he has similar to Michael Vick. I mean, it just, you cannot, it, the Cardinals felt this way. And we talked about it in our last pod. You cannot pass up a talent if there's such a gap between your current starter and the, the potential to take this individual so much so that I think they did the same thing with their second round pick. And we'll talk about it. But when you're a team like the Cardinals who were at rock bottom, who are rebuilding from scratch, I, I you know, I've been telling people you have to look at this roster like it's an expansion team roster and just say quarterbacks, the number one position, how much higher of a grade does Kyler Murray have? Mm-hmm. Then Josh Rosen, clearly it was significant. And then just continue to work your way down. It's a healthy approach, even though for a lot of fans, the frustration is Steve Kimes making the picks. But hopefully based on this draft class, the reflection that, that they've done is more analytically based, um, which is a good thing. Yeah, let's get into that. I know we'll, uh, there's other stuff we could move on as talking about the other picks, but let's make this Cardinals focus tonight. And I want to talk about how the end of round one, the Cardinals are in a spot where from the news earlier in the day, Nikhil Harry believes he would not make it past the Cardinals at pick 33. I texted you that I'd heard that the Cardinals were even possibly trying to move up for him at the end of the first round. I don't know how much of that was, you know, I think they fell in love with the person and the player. He did end up going as a first round pick to the new England Patriots. First time they've drafted a wide receiver in the first round in years and years right before the Cardinals pick Cardinals at some point, I think were like not able to move up or at least at the cost. Like, all right, we'll wait. He seems like he's still falling goes one pick before them. Um, I think that we, I don't know. We talked a bit about Nikhil Harry, at least with this John, I think that the, blow at least of how him missing has been softened considering where the Cardinals went at wide receiver, which we'll talk obviously about and most Cardinals fans know those names that were picked, but talk a little bit about with Nikhil. Cause I think you were a little bit higher on him than, than I was. I understood where he was going to fit as far as for how the Cardinals were. I liked him. I, I got to see him, you know, live dominate UCLA and like his last game that he played at Sun Devil stadium, a tremendously talented player. Maybe he feels kind of a similar Gronk type role there for that one, but talk a little bit about at least with with Nikhil with what kind of some of your last thoughts were on him and I think I guess for me I don't know if it was because the Rosen pick was going to be or the Rosen trade was going to be unpopular maybe you take a local hometown kid at least for that one who's at a position the Cardinals have wanted for years maybe that was a conscious effort by the team maybe even it was partially driven by Bidwell to try to, you know, get a play out there. But what's, what are kind of your thoughts, at least on Harry going at that point? Is this something that the Cardinals are going to, you think, not regret, but what, what were some of your thoughts on uh, the fact that he went, you know, that one pick is it going to, you're going to kind of feel maybe a little bit of remorse potentially if he goes on to be a, a great overall wide receiver. I don't have any regrets because a couple, a couple things, it's not Terrell Suggs in the sense that Suggs wanted to be a Cardinal. It was clear he was the best pass rusher. The Cardinals had two opportunities. They didn't take him. Um, and that's, that's bit this franchise for some time. Uh, w- with Nikhil Harry's a fringe first-round pick, uh, we've talked about it. 
Uh, this team has so many needs. And so taking a receiver pick 33, I, I would have understood it and totally fine with it. But, you know, you can make an argument. You got to go BPA. And is Nikhil here the, the best player at pick 33? I don't know. But I think that we found out the kind of player that the Cardinals like at receiver with the two wide receivers they took, both who are legitimate, you know, low 4-4, four, 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 potentially 4-3 four, players, probably right around 4-4, four, four, uh, in Andy and Isabella and Hakeem Butler, the two best deep ball runners in all college football. Um, Nikhil Harry is not that. Uh, he, in my opinion, he's a, is he an outside receiver? Maybe, but he's very much a possession receiver. It's very much what they have currently with Larry Fitzgerald. Um, but he obviously doesn't have the talent of Fitz and Fitz just progress into a, a um, possession receiver as he's, you know, gotten into his later stages of his career. So with Nikhil Harry, the explosiveness was doubted. The ability to beat press man was doubted. I, I do think, you know, his, his best comp could be somebody like Anquan someday. Um, he's incredibly physical. He's got great hands. He's a great human being. He's got high character. And I think he would have done well in Arizona. Um, but I don't think this is going to be, you know, an instance in which, you know, the Cardinals regret not packaging picks, trading up for, you know, an additional first to take Nikhil here. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening, especially when, you know, every year you get an influx of quality receivers. And I'm very much of the mindset that an elite quarterback makes receivers. Um, and the Cardinals clearly have made a precedent to surround Murray with, with weapons that I think are, are more than capable. So I, I think we're all rooting for Nikhil Harry. It's easier to root for him now because he didn't go to Seattle. Um, yeah, but I, I part of me think, though, so that's the other yeah. thing. <laughs> well, part of me, part of me thinks the Cardinals basically leaked it out that they were going to take Nikhil Harry at 33. I mean, were they really going to take him? They, they, they leaked that out like a week before the draft. They had Nikhil basically saying that on interviews oh, yeah. and whatever. Did they, did they want somebody to take him above them because they knew they had no intention of taking him and maybe some teams had a, a top 40 grade on him, but he wasn't a first-round lock? I mean, I don't think a lot of us assumed anything. I think all of us just basically thought that it was going to be Hollywood Brown, maybe DK Metcalf as the first-round receivers, and that a lot of people thought, you know, Nikhil would be there at 33. And so I don't know if that was a ploy by the Cardinals just to – and, you know, I don't want to give too much credit to this front office after the Rosen deal, but um, I wonder if that was a ploy by the Cardinals to, to, to kind of coax somebody like Seattle into using their first on him. But clearly they didn't have a first round grade on him either. Uh, they had multiple opportunities. They traded back, they accumulated picks and, and they didn't take him. So uh, I, I do think he's going to have success with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick because they know how to evaluate talent, although they haven't been great at, at receiver. Um, but I, I wish him well. I, I don't. I haven't given it a second thought because of the rest of the draft haul that they've had. So, thank you for tuning in to the Revenge of the Birds podcast breakdown of the 2019 draft.